Coming to you from the lab where they talk about guns, gear, training, and everything in between. Here are your hosts, Mike and Big Key, and this is The Gun Experiment. How's it going, everybody, and welcome to The Gun Experiment. This week, Keith and I speak with a Second Amendment lawyer, discuss strategies to combat gun control legislation, and essential items every self-respecting guy needs. I just want to remind everyone that we drop new episodes on the second and fourth Tuesday of every month, so be sure to subscribe and share the show with friends. If you like the content we're creating, we'd appreciate it if you'd head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review as well as a comment. And as always, before we kick this thing off with our guest, I have to mention the big man across the table. Big Keith is in the house. Keith, how are we doing tonight? Doing awesome, Mike. Thanks again for uh, letting me hang out for a little bit tonight. Yeah, is it is it me or like like up to this point, like it's like there's work, we're doing our 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 research and we're trying to like create the show, but every time it hits Thursday and we're about to record, I'm like, yes, Thursday's here. It's cool. No, it it is. It's getting uh we're having I'm having a blast. Like I told you, you know, uh I I I I'm having enough fun to stick around. So uh it's it's been great. But uh I've just enjoyed some of the people we've gotten to talk to and uh I, I really am fortunate for all the uh, all the listeners that are are commenting and uh and engaging with us. We really appreciate that. Yeah, it's awesome. It's 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 cool to hear from people and uh you know, we hear the reviews and it's just nice to know that people are actually enjoying what we're putting out there. So yeah, it makes you feel warm and fuzzy as a gun owner. It's it nice. definitely does. Definitely does. So before we get into this couple of uh, little housekeeping things, I do want to mention that our show sponsored tonight as uh, has been for a little bit now is Resurgent Arms. And I want to just point out that uh, Will, I always say what a great guy he is. They have been a little absent on social media, which is kind of like you. I wouldn't know. Yeah, I, I know you I, wouldn't. You know, I, I, I just thought they're always absent because I am. But he uh, he's starting to kind of kick up the Instagram stuff a little bit, and he's been uh, kind of interacting and engaging with us a bit. So uh, go check them out on uh, Instagram, obviously, and, you know, the website and all their products. I mean, they are uh, they're really doing cool stuff. So go check them out. And as always, get 12% off with our discount code, GUNEXPERIMENT12. Support them. That supports us, and it goes round and round, which is cool for everybody. I do want to do a uh, a review. Okay? okay. So this one, this came like out of nowhere. Like we didn't have a review for this episode, and all of a sudden this popped up, and it's a five star review from Scott T. Mack. Now I can't tell is it is it Scott Thomas Mack or is it Scotty? I think Mack? it's Scotty Mack. I mean, it's not spelt that way. There's there's obviously very clear space in the in the, in yeah. the words there, but. I would call it Scotty Mack. Yeah, so he's, 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 he's like play. He's trying to like play like. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe yeah. not. Maybe, maybe he's Scott, Scott Thomas, Thomas Mack. Mack. Yeah, <laughs> whatever. Anyway, so Scotty Mack says, listening to Jackie Billings right now, and she's challenging me to get deeper with my son into the Constitution. Thanks to Mike and Keith for great convos and a humble perspective on the industry. And I have to tell you, this really, truly made me feel warm and fuzzy. That was exactly what I got from yeah. her when she was talking about that was I really went home. And I was like, man, I got to talk about, you know, all the Constitution, not just the Second Amendment. You know, it just I, I this review really hit me in the feels because it it the fact that we're actually making someone think and the, the yeah. guests we're having, you know, it, it really it, it, it's the mission that we've set out to, to accomplish is is getting there. And, and that makes me feel really good. So anyway, let's get into the show. Our guest tonight is a fourth generation lawyer from Berks County, Pennsylvania, and specializes in firearms law. Please welcome Joshua Prince of Prince Law Offices to the show. Joshua, welcome to the show. How are you doing tonight? Hey guys, doing awesome. Thanks for having me. How are you guys doing? We're doing well, Josh. I'm just, what kind of lawyer jokes are funny to you? I just want to get that out now so we know. 
Yeah, what, like are the, what, are the, what are the limits? Shakespeare was right. We should kill all the lawyers, right? <laughs> <laughs> so so ambulance chaser jokes is okay. That's not it's not that, off the table. Cool. All right. Yeah, I'm I'm game for whatever. Okay. Awesome, awesome. awesome. So anyway, uh, you come from a long line of lawyers. I said in the intro, uh, fourth generation, which when I read that, I was like, holy mac, that's crazy. Um, are you the first to specialize in firearms law? Yes. Um, so I, I always tell everyone it truly is in the blood uh, to be a lawyer, though I can say growing up, my parents couldn't have cared less what I did. They just wanted me to be happy. It was always just something I wanted to do because I wanted to help people. That was what was most important to me. And even when I was in high school, I knew I wanted to be a lawyer. And if I could have gone right from high school into law school uh, and started practicing, I would have. But unfortunately, that wasn't a possibility. (laughs) But uh, I am the first in my family to start doing firearms law. And in fact, at the time I started doing firearms law, it was virtually unheard of for any attorney to be doing firearms law. Uh, usually if someone said even today that you do firearms law, they would say, oh, you do criminal defense. (laughs) And quite honestly, very little of what I do is criminal defense. There are uh, some aspects of my practice that obviously do touch on criminal defense, both in the state and federal courts. But a lot of what I do is civil in nature. Some of the things that I love the most in life are suing the ATF and the Pennsylvania State (laughs) Police. Hallelujah. Um, as well as Attorney General Josh Shapiro. I, I have some injunctions against him. And uh, I was pretty sure on what he called partially manufactured frames or receivers that he tried to force through here in Pennsylvania that we were litigating for keys to the Attorney General's office. Now, I won. I still haven't been presented with the keys, though. So <laughs> I don't know what's up with that. Do they know your name over there? Like if, if, if you walk in, they're like, oh, Josh was here. Yeah. Uh, Actually, when we had the hearing for the preliminary junction on the partially manufactured frames or receivers, the uh, Pennsylvania State Police and Attorney General's office had every single lawyer from the Attorney General's office, except for Attorney General Josh Shapiro and every attorney from the Pennsylvania State Police in the courtroom to litigate against me. Wow. (laughs) So so we we've kind of gone over that. legal profession is sort of it runs in your family but has firearms ownership also been a tradition passed down from generation to generation so my family has to some degree been involved in firearms over the generations but usually it was just a rifle or a handgun it it wasn't uh to the extent i'm involved in the firearms industry or uh in enjoying a firearms my father's eyesight isn't the best so uh, he, other than when he was younger, doing a little bit with firearms, uh, really, as I grew up, wasn't involved in teaching me firearms. I actually had an interest uh, in it. And my best friend and his father did a lot of shooting. And it was actually through them that I started to get involved. And when uh, my parents saw my interest level, my mom actually went with me through an NRA course because they said, you know, if you're going to have interest in this and you actually want to be able to go out and shoot we want to make sure that you're doing it safely right Uh, so that was kind of the start of it and uh it's actually an interesting story of how i I got into quote-unquote firearms law uh and that was basically uh in law school i had an elder law professor his blog in relation to elder law issues was considered in the top two percent in the entire United States for elder law issues. Mm. And during the first class, he said, 
that uh, if we wanted to, we could write a blog for his uh, blog and that it would constitute, I don't remember if it was five or 10% of our grade. And so after class, I went up to him and I said, I have a little bit of an unusual idea for a topic. And he says, well, what's that? And I said, I want to write about grandpa's machine gun in the trunk. Mm. I said, as our veterans are dying off, they're, you know, the attorneys handling the estates are finding these items and they don't know what they are, what to do with them. And he goes, yeah, I don't know about that. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he says, but I'll tell you what, uh, you go ahead, write the article, I'll review it and we'll go from there. I came across that when I was trying to dig up some information on you. And it's a really good read for anyone who hasn't read it. it it's it is it does have a wealth of knowledge. And I can imagine what that was like for your industry to be like, wait a minute, this is not public. This isn't or it is public, but nobody knew about it, I guess. Right. You, you know, Joshua, yeah. you you mentioned um, earlier um, that, you know, they, they kind of know you by name. You know, they, they know that when when you're coming, you know, they know who you are. And I really want to kind of pick your brain tonight because I feel like you have a lot of value for our listeners. And we, so we're in New York, which is obviously we're deep blue and it's not very firearms friendly. My condolences. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Uh, So we've recently been dropped by all concealed carry legal programs in New York State. I was personally with uh, CCW. Due to a New York State law, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was with CCW Safe and I got dropped as of a few months ago. Um, I know you represent people in self-defense shootings. What advice do you have for people involved in a self-defense shooting? First off, that's the first part. And then do you feel that there's any recourse for those of us that have been denied CCW insurance? What can we do to make sure that we are able to be represented and not lose our entire livelihoods? Those are two great questions. Uh, I guess taking the, the first one first, I always tell anyone that I speak to, and I don't care even if you're an attorney, never speak to law enforcement. Uh, I can tell you quite honestly, if I'm involved in a use of force situation, I am not going to try and represent myself, especially immediately after that incident. Uh, Most people don't realize it, but uh, your memory will not be as clear immediately after the incident as it will be in 24 to 48 hours. That's why if you speak with local police, they'll actually tell you that their department's standard operating procedure is an officer involved in a shooting uh, is not going to make a, a statement for 48 to 96 hours. I actually have a card from a DEA agent that they're given, uh, and DEA is 120 hours because they know your memory will not be as clear immediately after it. Right. So that's a lot going on. There's a lot going on, a lot of adrenaline going, a lot of of things going on in that head of yours at that point. Exactly. And, And so that's why it is so important that you shut up, not speak with the police. And what I do find to be most interesting, because I will also do... Uh, law enforcement only firearms law seminars uh, to train law enforcement on what the firearms laws are because they're really not trained on them. And during those types of seminars, I'll have law enforcement officers come up to me and say, you know what? I had this person, they came up to me and they're telling me all this stuff. And in the back of my head, I'm thinking, shut the hell up. Like, <laughs> right. you know, th- this is not helping you, yeah. but my job isn't to tell them to shut up. You know, I'm writing everything down. So most law enforcement completely understands that, you know, if you're invoking your constitutional rights, 
they're going to accept that, not take offense to that. But you also have to understand they have a job to do. Yes. And they need to be looking like they're doing that job. Of course, Boy, that, that statement, that that few sentences right there apply in so many different things that are going on right now. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, but yeah. One of the things that uh, is also very important is that if you do, uh, it, it, let me say it this way, if you are involved in a self-defense situational shooting or any other interaction with law enforcement and you demand your attorney, make sure you are demanding your attorney. And what I mean by that is don't say something to law enforcement officers like, I think I might want my attorney. Maybe I want my attorney. You want to give a steadfast statement that you want your attorney. I want my attorney. The reason for that, and I forget what state it was, but it was about maybe five, six years ago, there was a criminal defendant who literally said, I want my attorney, dog. And you and I know exactly what he was saying. This goes up through all the appellate courts and the uh, final court in that state says, well, since there are no dogs that are attorneys, he wasn't requesting an attorney. So that did not mean that he was invoking his constitutional rights. Right. Now, that's the most absurd thing I've ever heard. Yeah, absolutely. You, we all know he was saying dog, D-A-W-G, uh, that he was, you know, as a reference to a person, another individual. That's what the court did with that. And there are other cases holding that where it's not unequivocal and you you basically say, I don't know. I, I, I think that that isn't necessarily invoking your constitutional rights. So make sure you tell them, I want my attorney and shut up. Um, so getting to right. your Good advice. Your second question about what to do if you can't find coverage. Uh, that's a very difficult issue. Uh, I am fortunate. I have some clients who can self-fund, even though they wouldn't like it uh, if they're involved in a self-defense situational shooting. But in this day and age, I can tell you it is extremely costly if you do find yourself in that type of situation. And you'll be ending up mortgaging your home. Uh, and you don't know, you don't have any guarantee that at the end of the day, you're going to have anything left to your name, uh, after any type of prosecution, even if you're successful, because unfortunately, I was just gonna even say. if you win, it doesn't mean you're entitled to attorney's fees or costs. Um, right. so, you know, one of the answers, I guess, is move to a free state <laughs> where you, you yeah. can get coverage in that. Well, one of the, one of the things I've been trying to figure out, and and obviously I know you wouldn't know necessarily all these insurance laws or things like that, but I was trying to find out if it's covered under like an umbrella policy or something like that. You know what I you know, and if it happened in my house, but you don't have to answer. Just some just a thought that I had that I've been trying to kind of well, it is it is something to look bit. at because there are a lot of homeowners policies that do cover those types of situations that occur at your home. So. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think about how can I get our wonderful king here in New York State. How can I get through his loopholes? You know how can? <laughs> yeah, I, I there is there is an organization and it's it's escaping me right now that they are not an insurance. That's the key word. There, there is the a word. I, prepaid is legal. No, this one is like you 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 join them. And they're basically just a group of lawyers who, you know, are it's, it's not insurance. It, it The way in which it's done, I wish I could think of the name of it. By the end of the show, I might have it, but uh, to bring it back. But it's it's a 
group of lawyers or they, they basically will retain a lawyer for you, but it's not insurance per se. It's And I've heard that there may be a little bit of a loophole there. Well, there are a couple other items in New York State besides, you know, not not on the topic that we're related to, but there are, are things that are not called insurance because if they were called insurance in New York State, they would have a lot more regulation, but they're they're the same thing as insurance. They pool money together to help offset costs and help offset expenses. Yes, right? and that's the difference is that and, it's and not insurance, it's that you're pooling yeah, money. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I, we've got to find the name of that. I, I'm going to look for it. I'm going to try and find yeah. it, but you know. Joshua, what, one, uh, a good friend of mine is a lawyer. And he gave me, I remember one of the first times I met him, you know, of course he gave me his business card and on the back of it, it was, you know, I absolutely demand to speak to my lawyer, you know? And I was like, what is this for? He goes, well, if you ever get pulled over and you're, or you're in a situation like you're talking about and you want to demand your lawyer, you just hand this card over and everything is on the back that you need to say. And do you do that on your business card? Uh, yeah, we actually do something along those lines on the back of our business cards. And it tells people what their rights are if they're stopped. And that, you know, if the police do tell them that they can leave, they're free to leave, that they need to leave. They don't want to keep yeah. walking or anything Stay. else. Leave. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that's a that's great I, I i just had never seen that very you know before and and i have not seen it since i met a bunch of lawyers but not everyone has it on the back of the card i think it's a great idea that's funny what what should gun owners in new york for example prepare for so like you know we don't have this coverage we have a home defense situation uh we're probably going to go to jail that night right we should prepare yeah. for that and um you know we can't protect we can't purchase these policies, you know, so we just, what other things about the process can you tell us to kind of be prepared for? So each state's going to be a little bit different in what is required or how uh, someone is charged and processed. I'm not licensed in New York, so I can't give any legal advice on New York law, but what I I appreciate that. I I meant to give that disclosure too. Mike and I actually talked about that. We didn't want to put you on the spot for New York stuff. So thank you. I appreciate you. No problem. Uh, But what you generally want to prepare for is the possibility that you could be arrested and not get a phone call immediately. A lot of people are surprised to learn that here in Pennsylvania, they actually don't have to allow you to have a phone call until what we call your preliminary arraignment. And that could actually be more than a day away. So it's not a matter of as soon as you get to the jail, you get a free call. Now, again, depending on the law enforcement officer you have involved in the situation, you may. But you need to be prepared and potentially have a plan in place with your loved ones in that, that if they don't hear from you, they may want to start looking for you. Uh, And that's why it's important for people to know where you're going to be so that they have some geographic location to start a search for you. Uh, if they need to contact hospitals or police departments or police stations. So be aware of that. Also, I am a a strong proponent of having a relationship with a lawyer in advance of any type of situation. Uh, Now, every law firm is going to be different. Uh, For self-defense consults, we actually do those consults free of charge. And it's just basically an initial meet and greet so that they get to know me, Uh, And I give them a little bit of information about what to expect if they are charged here in Pennsylvania. And then depending on the situation, we do offer something what we call a true retainer program, which is if someone 
wants as close to a guarantee as possible that will represent them if they're involved in a self-defense situational shooting. Think, think of it like a think of it like a subscription. Yeah, in, in essence, but it is a fee that's paid just merely to have that access. Have Have you heard? So I actually found it. Have you heard of Armed Citizens Legal yes. Defense Network? That's the one I was thinking of. And from my understanding, that's not an insurance. Do you know if that might sort of circumvent the no insurance? That I don't know for New York purposes. Uh, I'm sure if you contact them, uh, you could find out. I am uh, one of their uh, referral attorneys for issues in Pennsylvania. Uh, They are a little bit different in that you're correct that they basically pull all the money. There is obviously, a, a to some degree, one might, contend a downside to that in that most people don't realize with insurance companies, there are multiple levels of insurance companies. There are insurance companies that insure insurance companies, and there are insurance companies that insure insured insurance companies. So there's multiple layers there. With something like Armed Citizens Legal Defense Network, it's just based on the money that they've received in from their members. So if God forbid, yeah, I just, I just want to say, I just want to say that obviously like I, I was a CCW safe member. I thought they were phenomenal, but again, it's not an option for me anymore. Um, my point is that because this is not a quote unquote insurance, it may be an option and I will look into this, but if you know, to our listeners out there, if you're from New York, if you're from a state where this is a problem, I would consider looking into this and I will follow up for anyone listening and I will yeah. re- report back on this, but I, I do Try think to get this, somebody on the show, this might be an option. So just, just throwing that out there. Um, you know, Josh, given, uh, given your experience, would you give our listeners your opinion on the most recent announcement of, uh, the Supreme court case, NYSERPA versus Corlett, uh, an episode prior, I was trying to explain, uh, probably terrible. If you listen to it, I apologize. Um, how the Supreme Court is, is slightly different from a regular trial and how they're really answering a very specific question. So in layman terms as possible, give us a little education. So the U.S. Supreme Court did agree to hear this is the second time the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association case has gone up to it. Uh, the first time it was dismissed, right? In essence, yes, because they they found that there was a, a an issue that had become moot because they contended that um, they hadn't actually requested attorneys. With this this case, uh, the issue that was presented to the U.S. Supreme Court was quote whether the Second Amendment allows the government to prohibit ordinary law abiding citizens from carrying handguns outside the home for self-defense. The U.S. Supreme Court, in granting the petition for certiorari, which is the application you file requesting that the court hear this case, uh, actually said that uh, the issue that they were going to hear was whether the state's denial of petitioner's application for a concealed carry license for self-defense violated the Second Amendment. Now, that's a much more limited question than the one that was presented by the petitioners. Does it tell us a whole lot? Mm, Not really. Uh, Could it be concerning? Eh, It could be. Uh, There is some historical support for the fact that at the time of founding, uh, everyone agreed that open carry 
was constitutionally protected, but there isn't as much in relation to concealed carry. That being said, based on what all information I have before me from different practitioners and individuals that know justices in that, Justice Thomas has seen himself as the Stuart protector of the Second Amendment. And And there were a lot of uh, cases that seemed perfect for the U.S. Supreme Court to hear previously, and they were denied certiorari. And it left a lot of people to speculate because it only takes four justices uh, for a a grant of certiorari. And we had that. What I believe the situation was is that Justice Thomas realized that he does not have Chief Chief Justice Roberts. The situation is that I, I think now, based on the current makeup of the Supreme Court, the dynamic has shifted. And now we have five justices that understand the Second Amendment and would be likely to issue a decision that would be in our favor now. So in the in in the in the previous episode, where we discussed this. um, We kind of did like almost like a sports scorecard. Like, who do you got on your scorecard? And I don't think there's anybody that would deny Thomas Alito. uh, I think ACB is a shoe in. Uh, Gorsuch, obviously, I think is a shoe in. Kavanaugh is a little. Kavanaugh little. makes me a little nervous, but I had read somewhere where you thought that uh, Chief Justice Roberts would go the other way. But one of the things that I had brought up was tactically he might go with the side of the majority so that he can decide who writes the majority opinion. Do you feel that that's possible, or do you think either way he's going? the other way. What's your opinion on that? I think it's an interesting issue. I still believe that we will likely see a decision where Chief Justice Roberts will end up on the side of Kagan and the other more liberal justices. Really? I I think Uh, when it comes outside the home in that, uh, I I think that's what we see. And uh, quite honestly, I think the reason we saw the language that we saw in Heller from Scalia was because of Roberts. I think the only way that Heller got decided the way it did was for Justice Scalia to write the decision that way to ensure that Roberts would remain a vote in their favor. Interesting. Now, do you think we, nothing we brought up, do you feel this is definitely in your wheelhouse? Could this open up, I'm going to throw two things at you. A, could this potentially open up universal open carry. That's the first. And then the second, because you mentioned that earlier about somewhat of like during the foundings. Second, could this open up or is there potential for this to open up uh, what I would call, I guess, like uh, national reciprocity or the ability to carry basically everywhere in the country, possibly given some... Publicly. Publicly, yeah, but possibly given some restrictions. But would it open that, open that door or not at all? I don't know is the honest answer because it's going to depend on exactly how the court decides this case. And as I mentioned earlier, the court really limited what the issue is before the court. The original question yeah. presented would lend itself to the court addressing both concealed and open carry, whereas... The the question that the court has, in essence, certified is more specifically limited to applications 
for concealed carry licenses. Yeah. Yeah. So what we were talking about, Joshua, was that, you know, so it, it really started with New York City not may you know may issuing concealed carry in new york city and what i was what i was sort of my position on it was and exactly the way you just described it is their limiting their limitation of the question has really put it to a point where so in new york state i'm sure you know there are it's decided by a by your county on whether or not you get a full unrestricted concealed carry or whether or not you get a hunting or a target license and i was explaining that if this you know if this goes the way you know two a guys or girls hope it goes new york state will not be able to decide if you get a unrestricted concealed carry they will just be able to issue a permit you will everybody will be able to conceal carry at that point am, am i correct in thinking that yeah I, I i i think you are um again it'll be interesting to see exactly what the court does with this and i also think that there's a very interesting aspect to the heller decision that everyone overlooks. In my opinion, the U.S. Supreme Court's already decided the matter. If you search the decision for a single word, that word is pocket, you will find that the court in defining keep and bear arms as the core of the Second Amendment said that it also includes the keeping of a firearm in one's pocket prepared for armed conflict. Oh, so. The courts, I mean, in one's pocket is concealed carry, and that's at the core and the definition of bare arms. I think SCOTUS already decided the issue. Now, I've raised that issue in litigation, and every court uh, that I've been in has refused to well, address it. it. It's like they say it's like, yeah, they say it's like it, dog. It's like, I want my lawyer, yeah, dog. They, they just ignore it. They won't, they won't address <laughs> it head on. But so let me let me ask you this. So kind of I'm kind of going back to, you know, what I had asked earlier but in a different way I suppose. Is this a very narrow scope in terms of like it's a like Keith keeps saying it's, there's a very specific question that they need to answer. So does that mean that there's a very specific win for the second amendment or could this absolutely blow up and could this open up a lot of doors? So on a scale of 1 to 10 is it one, we'll win a little small victory here, but it's not going to really change the lives of gun owners all that much. Or is it 10? Like this could open up all kinds of doors for us. Or vice versa. Of, yeah. Or, or the, other, the other way around. Yeah. Just what's your opinion on that? Like, could this open up a lot of doors for us or is it really going to kind of limit, be limited in terms of uh, the win? You know, it's anyone's guess. Uh, I wish I was Madam Cleo and had my psychic <laughs> abilities. Uh, but Love those. Love those but, infomercials. You know, um, honestly, this could go either way. I mean, if you get a decision yeah. supporting what New York State's yeah. doing in the current age we find ourselves, you could see now states backtracking and go to May issue. Oh, oh I know. Yeah. I, I'm hearing so many people compare it to to Heller and I'm 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 like, it's really the contrast to Heller, isn't it? It's like you know, Heller was again now it's the that, other piece to Heller, I feel like. Heller yeah. left it to in the home. Now yes. we're talking outside the Correct. home. So it's kind of the I almost would call it the other side of the scale. Correct. We're balancing yes. things out yeah. a bit. Yeah. Which which I mean, depending on how it goes to what we're all talking about. It, it could really be the balance to everything, right? It could just kind of, maybe so, that's crazy. The one thing I'll just throw out there, one case that a lot of people always overlook or, or are unaware of is the Caetano case out of Massachusetts that involved tasers and stun. When was that? I'm sorry, what? When was that? When was that? 
I vaguely remember. 2016, I want to say. Yeah, I, I vaguely remember that one. Remind so me. what that involved was uh, a young lady who had been threatened by a stalker. I, I think it was a former boyfriend or that. Yeah. And she was carrying a taser stun gun in her purse. And she was actually confronted by him, had pulled out the taser, and it had de-escalated the situation. She didn't end up having (laughs) to actually use it on him. He left her alone. Then a couple days later, there was some sort of incident. I believe it happened in a mall or such where a security guard looks in her purse and finds this taser. And she's then prosecuted and convicted as a result of having this taser because tasers are illegal there and saved your life. And then correct. And and what was interesting, it goes all the way up to the U S Supreme court because uh, Massachusetts Supreme court had said that tasers are not covered by the second amendment. And you just get a per curiam order reversing it saying that the, the Massachusetts court was wrong. What, What for the listeners who don't know, procurium just means by the court, no judge has issued it, no judge signs on specifically to it. Um, But Justice Alito issued this lengthy concurring opinion where he explains out that the court only he used the word begrudgingly reverses this. And that was one of the key things to me in understanding how. the likelihood was that Justice Roberts was not generally on the side of the Second Amendment uh, and that only in this situation is Justice Alito explains in the concurring opinion, literally, she's now, as a result of that conviction, prohibited to have from even having a firearm. Meanwhile, she used less than lethal to protect her life and was able to use it in such a way that it de-escalated. Now, yeah, we're, we're sitting here shaking our heads like it's crazy. It's just, it, I don't know if you watch Stranger Things, but it's like the upside down. It just makes yeah, no sense. But yeah. why I tie it into outside the home is because this is a case where the U.S. Supreme Court, while it is a per curiam order, acknowledged that the Second Amendment applies outside the home. So one of the services that you offer is uh, the creation of NFA gun trusts. Yep. And I'm very interested in this because, so can you explain to us what that entails and the benefits it provides to people? And then naturally I'll have a follow-up question. Sure. Um, (laughs) So it's going to vary from every state. First and foremost, as to what types of National Firearms Act or NFA or Title II uh, weapons that you can own. For some of the listeners, they may be uh, accustomed to hearing them referred to as class three, which is actually a misnomer because class three refers to the tax status of a dealer that sells NFA weapons. Uh, But basically, first and foremost, what type of NFA weapons you can own. So those include machine guns, short barreled rifles, short barreled shotguns, destructive devices, uh, silencers, and then another category called any other weapons, which tend to be uh, gadget guns, disguised guns, things of that nature. Uh, and then it goes down to what the state law allows in relation to trusts uh, and what allowances or limitations there are. I will say, generally speaking, a uh, trust does not get filed with the court and remains a private document. So I have a lot of clients who like the privacy aspects of using a trust in general. A gun trust is specific 
for holding firearms. Uh, it does not need to be limited to National Firearms Act weapons, but it can vary depending on state law. So ostensibly, you could have a state that precludes a trust from being able to hold firearms or such like that. The benefit... I don't think I don't think we can have one in New York, and if we can, I I know there's a lot of things that we're not allowed to have in a trust. That I know for sure, but um, but I am still curious about it. So sure. go ahead. Um, and so the the real benefit to a gun trust is the fact that at least again, depending on trust law, uh, you can list anyone who is 18 or older to be a trustee. And anyone who is a trustee under that trust represents the trust and would have legal right to access and possession of those firearms. That becomes somewhat of an important issue when we're talking about National Firearms Act weapons, because if I purchase one of those NFA weapons as an individual uh, and let's say I live in a household with a spouse and my spouse has access to it, whether it's actual access, meaning it's under the bed, they can grab it at any point in time, or it's in a gun safe and they have constructive possession of it, which is where they either know what the combination is or where the key is kept and could take physical possession at any point in time. That's an issue for my spouse because they are unlawfully in possession of that registered machine gun or other National Firearms Act weapon that's registered solely to me. With the trust, that makes sense. I can be a trustee, my spouse can be a trustee, anyone who's not a prohibited person can be a trustee, and all of us would then have legal right to have access to those NFA weapons held by that trust. Does, so hypo- does, hypothetically, hypothetically, I live in New York. I don't believe that I can form a trust and have NFA items in New York. I'm, I'm fairly certain of that. But let's say I have a, a relative who lives in Pennsylvania. Could they create a trust and could I be on that trust even though I can't have that firearm in New York? Is that Absolutely. Allowed? The firearm would have to, it couldn't go into New York. No, of course but not. Yeah. I have plenty of clients. I have a number of clients that are New York residents and who uh, basically establish a trust here. They have a trustee who is a, a Pennsylvania resident because you need someone who is a resident of Pennsylvania to be able to go to the FFL, the Federal Firearms Licensee, to procure the NFA weapon. Uh, but they leave all their NFA weapons here in Pennsylvania. And, you know, on holidays, weekends, whatever they want, they come down here, can enjoy their toys and then go home, leaving the toys here. What is what? Uh, and I'm not going to like, you know, ask super specifics, but around what does it cost to form a trust? Generally for uh, a regular gun trust, we charge eight fifty, um, and that includes yeah, that's reasonable. all of our time setting it up and, and all of that going over it with you. Uh, we have a video that I did that we send out in advance of the initial consult so that people can get familiar with the different terms and, and really have some time to digest it because I used to do it all during that initial consult and beyond losing my voice because I was doing the same thing over and over and also thinking, you know, (laughs) my God, this is what I'm going to end up doing when I get Alzheimer's. I'm going to be just repeating the gun trust consult (laughs) day after day. Uh, I I felt it gave the the client more opportunity to kind of digest all the information. And if they want to rewind, go back. I'm sorry, what? You became efficient. Yes. 
that as well. <laughs> I I dug up somewhere that about forty percent of your firm's practice deals with FFLs. Um, ha- has that been like has that been a growing area? It has. We we do everything from new FFL startup. Uh, we have a, a specialized. If we're using an LLC, we have a specialized operating agreement specific to FFLs that we've developed. If they're going to go the corporate route, which at least in Pennsylvania doesn't make any sense. Uh, unless they're going to be having more than 35 members or looking to be public or something of that nature. Um, there we we have a specialized bylaws uh, that are specific to FFLs where based on my experience in the industry, we incorporate protections for our clients that others would never think of. I, I mean, I, I sort of have an assumption on this, but why do you think FFLs have been growing? Uh, I, well, I I think a lot of people believe there's a lot of money to be made being an FFL. (laughs) Uh, and I say it that that way. That's definitely got to be a portion. (laughs) Are you saying it because, are you saying it because you just paid 500% more for shotgun primers than you should have three months ago? Yeah. (laughs) Um, I, I, it's a little right right now they're making money. I don't know if they always do, but they are now. Well, I, I don't know that that's always the case. But what I find for smaller dealers and new dealers, if you're making five, six percent on a new gun sale, that's a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I thought more people would be doing it because they were afraid their rights were going to be taken away. That that was I mean, well, that's you know, I don't know. The thing you have to remember in, in some regards, you're kind of giving up a little bit of your rights in obtaining an FFL because ATF can come once a year during your stated business hours to do a compliance yeah. inspection in the absence of a warrant. Which yeah. I think and is I unconstitutional, the- but that's what the law provides. Now, is it true that while well, that I, I've heard that before, but for instance, let's say that I have my FFL running out of my house and my my basement is where I list where business will be being conducted. They can't just go in my bedroom and look at my gun safe upstairs. Right? Like it's it's limited, correct? Says who? Law doesn't differentiate. The law actually doesn't. Spe- it, it says the so FFL. It better, it better be a shed outside. <laughs> the, the The FFL is issued to a premises address. Now, oh, if you have a suite number in your home and you on your FFL designate only it being applicable to that suite and that doesn't go into your bedroom or other areas, then sure. And then and now we have a, a legal argument. While I, Joshua, I like the way you think. Yeah. Uh, I can tell you, in my experience, ATF will, during an initial interview, basically make a map of your home if it's a residence and say, okay, tell us where you're going to be doing your business. And then we will, you know, generally constrain our compliance inspection to those areas. But from a legal perspective, there is nothing in the law that requires that. So I've been trying to get this answer for a while and I just cannot get a straight answer. So a type seven FFL, which is includes sales, but also manufacturing, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Initially, there was uh, additional fees that had to be paid because of ITAR, Mm -hmm. which I won't bore listeners with what ITAR is, but basically it's selling outside of the country, correct? No. Uh, What back then and still to this day, 
if you is ITAR still required? That's where I'm kind of going with this. Do you still need to pay? It depends that fee. I'm going to give you the law school answer. It depends. So, okay, uh, sure. If you manufacture or export defense articles, you must register under ITAR, the International Trafficking and Arms Regulations. During the Trump administration in the last year, they moved a number of items off of the defense article list and over under commerce where there is no annual registration or such of that nature. What remains under ITAR are machine guns and silencers. So if you want to manufacture either of those, you're still going to have to pay the $2,250 a year to do that. Or if you want to manufacture ammunition over 50 cal. Uh, but of all you're, but of all you're looking to do is to manufacture. You're looking to build AR-15s and customize AR-15s. That doesn't fall under ITAR any, any longer. It did uh, about two years ago. Correct. Yep. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was. I knew. I knew Trump had changed a lot of that. So I, I just was curious if my research was correct. So thank you for confirming that. Yep. Even though we live in what I would consider a restrictive gun state. The stats show that there has generally been a lot of civil disobedience and noncompliance with assault weapon legislation in our state. Um, that's based off of if you compare it to a state like uh, Connecticut, where there are less gun owners, but there was more registration. That's kind of where we're going with this. What advice do you have for someone who gets in legal trouble as a result of basically noncompliance um, because they feel that they were not following unconstitutional laws. Now, obviously, I'm not saying that you should tell them to break the law, but they've already done that. What are, yeah, they, what are, they, what are they do next? They got, they got hemmed up. Yeah. Well, they got to do what I started out by saying, and that's not talk to law enforcement. Uh, <laughs> um, be, beyond that's a big that, one. That's that, really hard for me, Josh. What? <laughs> beyond that, uh, you need to get competent counsel uh, and that is a, a serious issue because if you, in at least my day and age, you'd look in the you know phone book. Now we don't have phone books anymore, <laughs> but every attorney advertising that they do criminal defense will say they do firearms law issues, even though they don't have the first clue as to what a real firearm is or what it is. They'll just say, "Well, it falls under the crimes code, so you know I handle it." Uh, so you need to make sure you have someone who really knows what they're talking about, what they're doing, what the issues to raise are. Uh, and you got to hope and pray, quite honestly, that, you know, you get good judges, good jury. Uh, and that actually brings up another issue. I, I so often hear about people, good people, getting out of jury duty. Think about it if you're the one being prosecuted. Would you want you to be on the jury or would you want you to be good enough to get out of jury duty? Yeah, I feel feel like I'm getting eyes glaring at me, Joshua. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm just being honest because no, it's 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 a it's a good reminder. Thank you. Honestly, I I don't mean it in a a, well, it's your civic duty. I I, I was called on and I got dismissed, not because I tried to get but I got dismissed from it. And. They didn't um, like the way you looked, probably. Probably. One of the, I look one a of the lawyers sh- didn't I like look you. a little shifty. That's <laughs> kind of what it comes down to. No, but I mean, I, I really wanted to be on it because I felt like it was my civic duty to to be there, you know? Yeah. But I, I know, Josh, you've uh, you've identified a need for representing uh, representation in, in the cannabis industry. You recently formed Cannabis Industry Law Group. You know, firearms rights and gun rights are two topics that most people, you know, don't put together 
uh, all the time. And I, I happen to have read, I read your testimony preparing for tonight from uh, 2019, the public hearing, uh, Pennsylvania House uh, Judiciary and Cannabis Use and the Second Amendment. Um, not everyone likes to read that kind of stuff. I, I don't mind it. And, uh, you know, can you help me a little bit? Like, how did you get in that room? Was it because they know you at the ATF and they were like, we need to get Joshua here? How, how did you get in that room? Uh, well, most in the Pennsylvania General Assembly know me. Uh, and so, uh, you know, they had actually invited me there. ATF was not at that hearing. Uh, Ceasefire PA was and a number of anti-gun uh, organizations were there. Uh, so were several uh, sheriff departments or the Pennsylvania Sheriff's Association was represented there. Uh, and it, it's an issue. What that, side were they on? That's really frustrating for me because in Pennsylvania, we've had the governor come out and tell people, yeah. oh, no, you don't have anything to worry about. That's not true. Uh, while it may be true under Pennsylvania law, everyone is aware of the fact saying that it? it's still federally prohibitive. And the Pennsylvania State Police had to literally go out and put on their website that it's still illegal federally and you can't possess a firearm and <laughs> I, I ammunition that. as a result. Has uh, has Tom stopped saying that? No, because he doesn't <laughs> want to lose the vote. He does, for his party he now, even vote. though he can't be reelected oh, again. Man, what? he's worried about the fallout for his party. So, do you think? Do you think that this has? I mean, it start. Uh, Mike, you just passed me an article this week. The Arkansas governor, I can't remember his name, Ron something. He introduced a bill recently, a discuss that. Uh, Fixing this, Josh, right? On uh, you know about this? Yeah, the, there is. There's been a number of bills presented over the past couple years. I mean, it won't get it won't get passed, right? But well, I don't know. I, I it might. I uh, think that it's likely in the near future we will see some form of decriminalization of marijuana. It's, it's got to get it's got to get descheduled, right? If it gets out of the schedule too, like you pointed out in this testimony, please, you know, anybody wants to go read it, you know, um, that that's really the a solution, right? Correct. DEA, if they just deschedule at one level, it would allow for doctors to prescribe it. And then as long as you have a lawful prescription for it, you'd be able to use it and continue to possess your firearms and ammunition. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying while you're using it, go out and shoot firearms. I'm saying no. right, that right, right. Uh, the law provides an exception as long as you have a lawful prescription for something for you to be in possession of the firearm and ammunition. Now, that raises another point that few people ever think about, uh, and that is, uh, let's say I hurt my back and the doctor prescribes me some Vicodin and I take two of them, back is better. I still got 10 pills. I leave them in the medicine cabinet. Six months later, my wife, let's say, injures her back. She, oh, well, he had used those Vicodin. Uh, they're still up in the cabinet. I'll just go take one. If she does that, she is now a prohibited person because she did not have a lawful prescription for that prescription drug. Well, this is this is a topic that's come up a lot, you know, in in my life, just because you know we're always out shooting guns together, and I, you know, I happen to know a couple of people that might have smoked pot once in their life, and they're, you know, and they ask about this with medical marijuana, and I I tell them all the same, I I tell them all the time that you cannot, you know, I think it's a risk to have a medical marijuana card in New York State and be a gun owner, you know, and uh, I, so I. It's something that people really need to be aware of, and hopefully, it could, I agree that within our lifetime, in in the short future, it'll it'll be corrected um, in some yeah. way. But I agree. I so yeah, I, I agree, and I also think there's a better chance than you might think of them 
starting to reduce reduce the problem that we're having here. Yeah, you know, I think I think you're going to see it sooner rather than later. But so, Joshua, I do want to move on to to, to some of the uh, the fun stuff we have planned in the show. But where can people that find wasn't the you? fun? That was not the fun. That was just that was like the appetizer. <laughs> where can people find you? What are what are your social medias? What's your website? Stuff like that. So uh, our main firearms related website is firearmsindustryconsultinggroup.com. Uh, so you can find us on Facebook on that. You can find us on our website. Again, that's firearmsindustryconsultinggroup.com. Uh, I also have a, a professional Facebook page that's Joshua Prince Esquire. Uh, that you can look up, but pretty much all the blog articles we uh, post in that are pushed out to the firearms industry consulting group page. So uh, it makes the most sense for most people that are trying to stay abreast of the issues that we're blogging about to join that because then it gets pushed out to you. I, I have all of those links in the show notes. We always do that. So they're all there for people. But I have to tell you that if you're out there looking for Joshua, you'd better use that those resources because he has a complete firewall of an assistant that you cannot get through unless you have the magic code. I mean, this is the first time we've talked because Howard is like, yeah. he is like a brick wall. I could not get through him. Well, he, he spent 30 plus years. He needs years a raise, Joshua. Yeah, whatever you're paying him, it's not enough. Well, he spent 30 plus years at ATF and then he saw the light to come over okay. to be my assistant. So. <laughs> Well, he's like a bodyguard. I can tell you that from experience. He does not let anyone through, uh, through his. Uh, he doesn't let anyone. He doesn't let anyone pass the gatekeeper. Exactly. <laughs> so anyway, Joshua, we have a tradition on the show called Run and Gun, and Run and Gun is a ten-question rapid-fire game where we're going to ask you a question, and you have to give us the first thing that comes to your mind. You game for that? It's time, Joshua. All right. Uh, I'm not guaranteeing you what type of answers you're going to get, though. That's all right. <laughs> All right, here we go. Number one, what is your favorite gun in your personal collection? Beretta 93R. What gun would you buy if money was no object? A mini gun. Who wouldn't? <laughs> if you could have a drink with one person, living or dead, who would it be? Ronald Reagan. Well, that's, wow, a, good okay, that's a good answer. Yeah. Number four, favorite caliber? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, oh, boy. I got to pick just one? One. Oh, fuck. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Five, five, six. Okay. Favorite hobby, not gun related. Lifting weights. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Oh, man. I picked x-ray vision. <laughs> I, I Much would to like to dismay. be able to bless people with common sense. Oh, God. Nice. <laughs> that's, that's a new one. <laughs> All hell breaks loose. Is it better to be armed or trained? Well, if hell broke loose, uh, I definitely would want to be trained. Is it better to be loved or feared? Ooh, that's a good one. Probably feared. Rifle, pistol, or shotgun? Oh, man. It depends on the environment, baby. No. Rifle, pistol, or shotgun? <laughs> All right, I'll go with rifle. You're in the worst scenario imaginable. Who do you want to have your back other than your spouse or a significant other? A Navy SEAL. <laughs> That's good a good answer. That's, a good, That's a good answer. Let's mix it up. All right. So tonight on Let's Mix It Up, we are going to discuss the constant onslaught of gun control legislation and possible strategies to combat those attacks on our I, rights. I, I sounded like we already talked about that, I, but I, believe I it or not, there is more to talk there about. There is more. There is more. So this this episode, I mean, we're over an hour now, and I mean, like, this is just a really good conversation. So let's just keep the ball rolling here. So. 
the first thing that came to mind is, I mean, like the things that we're looking at right now, I mean, you're talking, there's, there's discussion of federal assault weapons bans where at least in New York state, we've heard about legislation on body armor. We've heard obviously pistol braces, ghost guns. I mean, there's, there's just a constant onslaught, right? So Keith, you were talking about, um, some stuff in New York state. Why don't you take, take that part, that angle yeah so uh josh like you said obviously we all know that uh you you're not licensed to practice in new york state is it licensed you didn't pass the bar in new york is that what i'm supposed to say correct i didn't i've never taken the bar i'm only licensed in pennsylvania and maryland so we we know you're not giving us legal advice but just you know give us a little bit of advice on on so one in particular was there's recently been some legislation that has been presented in both houses in the state of new york that is requiring um, seven hours of firearm training, including two hours of live firearm training to anyone who holds a New York state permit. And this, and the, the it sounds okay on, on, uh, on the surface to those people that are, you know, uh, anti-gun, but it is going to be required for everyone, not just new, uh, gun holders. And it must be renewed every two years and you have to pay for it. So one of the issues that I find with this legislation is, so a two-part question. The first one is, the best I can find is, and this question is not just for you, Josh, it's also for uh, for Mike. Uh, best I can find is that research shows me that there's about 1.2 million-ish permit holders in New York State that's pistol permit holders that doesn't account for all the people that own rifles. But using that 1.2 million gun owners, there isn't enough hours in a day considering 52 weeks out of the year, five days a week, and enough gun ranges to support the amount of hours that it would take. And, it feels and I'm like, a numbers guy. We all, you know, anybody who knows me knows that. It's, yeah. It doesn't work. There's, it feels like a backdoor legislation to me because you're requiring something that's not feasible to actually accomplish. So how does that even happen? And And how does it get this far where no one has thought about that? Hey, you guys elected your representatives. Oh, I well, did. Well, <laughs> well, yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> so that brings me to my next point, Joshua, is so we were, I was discussing this with a few friends. Mike, Mike and I uh, haven't discussed it to this level of detail, so I'll be interested to hear what his opinion is. But the, the conversation was well, exactly what you just said, Joshua, is you elect these officials or, or go talk to your elected officials. Go talk to the people that you elected. But I'm not sure that I want to go talk to someone who is for this uh, you know, uh, for this this legislation, I think I want to go talk to a conservative elected New York State official that's not in my district or not in my area. Is that appropriate? I want to give them this information because I feel like they're the ones that's going to be able to use it best. If I give it to the other side defensively, they're going to be able to maybe fix this before it gets passed. I, I don't see anything wrong with you reaching out to someone who's aligned with your views or beliefs and providing them with that information. And I don't think you'd find that you'd get pushback or difficulty. You may not get a sit down with that representative. Uh, You may end up with that representative's chief of staff or such, but uh, I'm sure the information would be received in and be appreciated. So let me, I'll give you just a a brief little bit about some of the information that was passed along and the people that I were talk that I was talking about with this 1.2 million gun owners, seven hours of training requires 8.4 million hours. There are, uh, training days, eight hours per day, uh, of 1 million training hours in a day, uh, that would require 1 million training hours in a day. Um, 
the training days spread over two years and the number of people per class being five, there's the number of ranges it would require is 404 ranges. And in New York State, by my research, I can find 300 and there, those 300 are not all public. So it mathematically cannot happen. I'm glad you did that math because I went to law school so I didn't have to do math. <laughs> <laughs> and and how how can we you know I've done I've done some advocacy in Washington. I've I've um and I've done it even very locally too. And I've always had good experiences, really honestly. And I, how can we help people be more comfortable with doing it? I mean, it's really just as simple as dialing the phone number that's listed on the website and on, on you know Google it and you call them and you'll get a call back. You're not going to necessarily talk, like you said, Joshua, to the, the representative themselves, but you will get a call back. And even opposing sides have been willing to hear my, um, my talking points, as long as I'm respectful and not, you know... Uh, you can't be belligerent. Yeah, you, you can't have to, be belligerent. You have, be, you have to be... And you have to have some sort of guide. Like, you have to have some... You have to, you have to be able to talk about what you want to talk about, yeah. right? I think I think what I'm taking away from this, you know, is um, I don't think there's anything wrong. I never thought of it, but there's nothing wrong with talking to the minority. No, it was a thought that I had. Yeah, and I, you know, you're as you're talking, I'm like, man, I kind of want to get someone on the show. I'd like to get someone on here to talk about this and say, like, what can we do? And when you say minority, you're mean like a conservative New Yorker, yes, <laughs> New York yes. elected official. I yes, mean, we're, that's the yes, minority. Yes. Um, but, you know, I, I think that that's actually not a bad idea. And I do agree with what you said, Joshua, which is like I could think of one local senator. I, I think he would be at least somewhat receptive. He's not extremely extreme. Like I know he voted against the SAFE Act, actually. And mm -hmm. I think he's voted for some gun control. But that might. Well, signal, that's to balance out the votes. He needs to yeah, make sure he balances out the votes. I, I just think that, it, you know. Right, Joshua, you got to cover your whole constituency. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> But you know you might can't be consistent. God forbid. No. You might get a you might get a conversation with someone like that. You know, and they might actually like listen to what you have to say if it's logical. I and I so I wanted to just because we're on this topic. I and and I and hopefully listeners are we're engaging them to to pay attention to what we're talking about here. They they had a bill a couple of years ago where we needed a million dollar. I think you and I were talking about this, Mike. You needed a million dollar liability policy, but you can't buy a policy. <laughs> Isn't it funny how that works? Almost like they planned it that way. Yeah. Almost like they play, yeah. you know, and and so it's it's really concerning. The other thing that really gets to me is that there there are a lot of quote unquote gun owners who support uh, requiring some form of proficiency with a firearm in order for someone to purchase or possess one. And I just sit back and shake my head because this is like Groundhog Day all over again with just a different issue. I mean, that is how we prevented African-Americans from being able to vote yeah. in the past. Right. If, yep. you, if you control the test and what is sufficient enough to pass the test, you can prevent anyone you want from passing the test. No, no well, one would ever do that. Well, well <laughs> you know, we had, we had Rob Pincus on the show. Yeah. And one of the things we talked about with him, because he's an instructor, is training and like saying like like you know we all should should sort of strive to have better training and yada yada. And he cut us off. It was like, eh. and I'm like, what do you mean? Eh? And he's like, I mean, he's like, a lot of people have really effectively defended their lives with like zero training. Yeah. They just pointed, shot the gun, and and ended the threat. And, and I'm like, and he he wasn't saying it's you a really get, good point. Yeah, he wasn't saying you shouldn't get training. But the point is, is like. 
you don't really need to. I mean, there's plenty of people who use a gun effectively, a firearm effectively, without it, you know? It's an excellent point, but one of the things that I thought of afterwards when when he said that, that I, I would tell him now next time I talk to him, hopefully, would be that the reality is, in my experience, most gun owners are very experienced in using their firearms. You know, it's not... I, we, we know many people that tell us we shoot way more than police officers are required to shoot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess to wrap it up, I mean, I think, you know, you, you have to keep fighting the fight, obviously, but I think, well, I think I like this idea this. I'm glad yeah, I, thought, no, I'm glad I, I thought of this. Your, your, your idea is very valid. Do you, do you want me to validate you? No, I'm just, you know, making a joke. It's not my idea only. <laughs> well, I think it's time for the boys to sit around and shoot the shit. All right. So tonight on shooting the shit, um, we are going to discuss Something Three. not legal. <laughs> yeah. No, it is not. <laughs> I can't even take you serious right now. We're going to discuss three essential items that every self-respecting guy must have after 30 years. A friend like Joshua. Every yeah, time. for a lawyer on retainer. <laughs> definitely. No, I, I, you know, I was thinking about this and I'm like, I, I was actually single in my, into my thirties, you know? And I started God thinking, yeah, I started thinking, I was like, man, like what are the things looking back that either I did sort of get by my 30th birthday and was like, man, good thing I got that. Or I'm an idiot. I should have had that kind of a thing, you know? So I'll I'll actually start it off. We'll do like a round robin. You know, I'll start off my first item. uh, I think every guy, once they hit 30, should own a good watch. You know, like I, I have an iWatch on right now and I have like a G, like a G code, like a, yeah. like a rugged, but I also have like a tag Heuer and like that tag Heuer I bought, remember when I bought it, you know, it was pretty pricey was good. and like, it just like, man, you wear a suit, you have a good watch. Like it, it, something about that says like, this is a, well, a good suit is one, but Joshua, you probably got like a hundred good suits. So that, that, that's like not, not a good one for you. I think I read somewhere that you just said you don't like wearing suits though. Is that, is I that true? I, I really don't. I always tell clients if I'm wearing a suit, things aren't going so well and you're feeling <laughs> me more because I'm pretty damn good at getting things resolved without needing to get into the courtroom. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, well, that's good. My, my thing that I think every self-respecting guy should have, I mean, it's not a good watch. It's a good grill. Oh, that was on my, I thought about it. So guy, why that though? I just, you, how, how can you not have a good grill? How do you not have the ability to make a good burger? Or- There's a saying, I, I don't know where I read this, but it's like the man behind the grill is as close to a God as you can have at the barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's probably true. Yeah. What about you, Joshua? What's your first one on the list? Well, I, I was going to say, and I'm not sure in this woke society that I can say it, but I was going you to say, say you know, a, a good woman by your side. I guess in today's uh, society, yeah. I have to say, you know, I would have gotten some brownie points if I had thought about that. (laughs) But, you know, I will say this. I did. I did not have my wife by 30, as I just said. But I will say this. I do agree with that. But it is worth waiting for the right one. If you can't get it by 30, wait till 35, get it it by 35. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. The next one I have on my list. Again, this is probably going back to because I was single. uh, A good quality, nice looking weekend bag. Like a, whether like leather, a nice canvas bag, and here's why. You're here's why deep I say on this, man. I you, didn't think of any of these. Here's why I say that. You're again. I was, I was single, right? Yeah. You you go to the, the girlfriend's house the first time you're going to her house. You don't want to go in like your dirty gym bag. You look like a total amateur, you know. Or maybe you get like invited to the the CEO's you know house in the Hamptons or something, and like you're gonna go. You can't show up with some raggy, taggy. True. Right. Like that right there says that you are a well 
established guy. Yeah. Yeah. That really does. Right. Yeah. I, I'm like, you're gonna go buy one, aren't you? I, I you don't, have. One? I don't really have one. I, I have a, like a book bag. Yeah, <laughs> go get one. I got a leather one in Italy that's beautiful, and it was worth every penny. All right, all right. Yeah. I, 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 I'm thinking like I need to be deeper now. And I guess if you're a self-respecting guy at 30, you should know how to do your own laundry. Like, are you supposed to have that? I mean, is that? Could we just say good habits? Good habits. You should have good, like, whatever that be oh, hygiene? I mean, that was supposed to start probably a lot earlier than 30. Yeah, that's fair. That's true, yeah. Maybe, how about a, how about a good bed? You yeah, a that's good. good. You gotta yeah. have a good bed. Yeah, I would agree with that. Okay. I got a, a good bed. Getting a little older, back's not what it used to be, maybe. Yep. You might have to switch from soft to a little firm. Yeah. Pillow Dang. top, no pillow top now. All right, Joshua, what's your second one? So I'm going to say you have to have your own living arrangements, meaning you can't be living oh. with mom and dad. Yes, agreed. Yeah. Very, very true. Although I did have to go back for a slight moment while my house was being finished. That's different. That's different, though. <laughs> That's okay. Was, we'll let okay. you slide I, with that. All right, yeah. thank you. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, and kind of, I guess, maybe along, I'm going to kind of uh, piggyback on that because I think this goes along with it. Uh, I think by 30, you should have a reliable and decent car. And I am going to say... I was going to say a race car. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I, well I was going to say... That doesn't mean you have to drive a Mercedes, right? But what I'm saying is, even if you don't make a lot of money, like you should not be driving something that's breaking down all the time. Yeah. I mean, your job depends on it. I would argue to some, uh, to some uh, extent, you know, it it just says that you care about yourself. Nine hundred horsepower too much. <laughs> You're <laughs> not no, thirty, by the way. I'm, well, I'm not. Did I have it when I was thirty? Hold no. on. No. Did I turn? Not nine hundred horsepower. As you didn't. When do I turn? Yeah, I, it was done before I was thirty. I was technically thirty nine when when I when I had the nine hundred horsepower car. So it was my thirties. Thirties. All right, I'll give it to you. Okay, give it to me. I'll, I'll give it to you. You need it. So you have a nice, reliable car. I say you got to have a nine hundred horsepower. Car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Joshua, just for a point of reference, he just put a supercharger in his Mustang, and it puts out nine hundred horsepower. Nice. Yeah. It's obnoxious. Yeah, when when he starts it, I I can hear it from across the neighborhood. <laughs> literally, literally, I'm not exaggerating. The the, di- the direct neighbor has uh, asked that I give a warning. <laughs> oh jeez. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. All right, Joshua, you are going to end it. Actually, wait, did you give your third? I said race car. I race car. Okay, Joshua, you're on your third. So I, I I think you need some books or information to expand or broaden your knowledge set. Joshua coming in with the reasonable one. I, I did book collection. Book collection was on kind of like the. I, I'm I'm not surprised it was on yours actually. I'm, I'm not a big reader. I'm not as big a reader as you think. I, I no, I, but I I pegged you for a book collection. I you know what I want a book collection. I just don't want to read any of them. <laughs> now I, I, I really yeah. think everyone by thirty should have a silencer, but you know I know you yeah. guys don't live in the land of the free, so I was yeah, trying you to just, you break. Just, you just hurt me. That was yeah. you took my legs out from under me. <laughs> So anyway, Jesus. Well, listen, I uh, I want to thank you, Joshua, for being on the show. You know, I uh, I've been wanting to get someone with f- some legal background on here for a while, and uh, I've read some of the some articles and things. I've seen you in the news here and there, and I was really ecstatic that we were able to get you of all people on the show. So thank you for being on the show. Um, and uh, you know, I hope you'll come back again. I hope you know we can have you back once in a while, and we can talk maybe about in some October new stuff. when uh, Nyserpin Corlett is uh, is ruled. Absolutely, I, I really appreciate being on the night, and it's been a lot of fun. So I am definitely game whenever you guys want. Let's do it again. 
Awesome. I love it. To everyone listening, we want to thank you again for taking your time out of your day to tune into our show. You can find links in the show notes to all of our social media. So be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter so we can keep the conversation going. Guys, thanks again for being on. And uh, I appreciate all of the advice, Joshua. My pleasure. Anytime.